Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 16. If you would like to go ahead and turn there. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the elders here at Crosspoint, and I am filling in for Nick today, who is taking a well-deserved week off. We're currently working our way through 1 Timothy, and today it brings us to this portion in 1 Timothy 3 that talks about deacons and their place within the church. So that is what we're going to focus on this morning. Um, before we read, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that we can gather together as your people um, to look at your word, to see what you have to show us. Pray that you would help us to see um, what your desire is for deacons within your church, and that you would help us to be a people who um, live this out well through the way that we conduct our church, um, that we would honor and glorify you um, in everything that we say and do, and pray that as we look at your word, you would open our eyes to see what you have to show us this morning. In your name, amen. So we're in 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we're going to talk about deacons. It's a real fun topic. It's maybe, as I was going through this, I'm like, it's, it's really applicable to the church, but then there's not necessarily something that we can walk out of here and be like, this is what I'm going to do this week. This is how I'm going to live out this deacon passage. But we will talk about that. Um, what we're going to talk about, first of all, is we're going to look at what is a deacon. Then we're going to consider who can be deacons or who should be deacons. And then finally... Um, we're going to ask the question, why should I be a deacon? Or, why not? Um, and then maybe take a little bit of time to consider, what does this mean for us today? So as we start here in 1 Timothy, we're halfway through the story of the life of deacons. To really understand what a deacon is, it's helpful for us to go back to the book of Acts. Um, and we're going to read a portion of Acts chapter 6, if you want to turn there. And this is the origin story of where deacons came from in the church. So when the church was just getting started, Jesus had just died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the church was multiplying rapidly. And as the church was multiplying, there were also a lot of people coming from outside of Jerusalem into town, and the disciples were very focused on preaching the gospel, but all of a sudden, as happens when you gather a group of about 20,000 people, there arises a need for some administration. There are some things that need organized, and you can't just neglect that side of things, or else it will just eventually fall into chaos and disorder. And this is where we get in Acts chapter 6. If you would read along with me, starting in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned a full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this is what was happening. The church was growing, and there was this dispute between different factions of the church, the Greek side and the the Jewish side, on how their widows were being cared for. And at this point, the leaders of the church were the apostles, and they recognized that it was more important for them to continue preaching and to continue in prayer than to stop proclaiming the truth of the gospel so they could manage these affairs. And so they set about finding men who would serve tables. Um, In verse 2, they say it's not good that we should give up preaching to serve tables. That word serve there in the Greek is diakoneo, which is where we get the word deacon from. The word deacon is a transliteration of the Greek word, which literally means a servant or to serve. And it's something that we've kind of carried forward and put into an office um, as the Bible directs us to do. So when we think of deacons, we should always kind of come back to this idea that the word deacon really means servant. And as we talk about deacons, we all probably come from different church backgrounds. We've seen deacons played out in a number of different ways, and some people have some preconceived notions about what deacons are, what deacons aren't. And sometimes it's just helpful. I've I've kind of jokingly thrown out this idea that we should get rid of the word deacon in our church and just call it the service committee. And maybe that would help us be a little bit more clear about what they do. Um, But really, when we talk about deacons, they're servants, and they primarily um, care for the physical needs of the church. So this might be the physical needs of the members through providing food, clothing, money, transportation, and things like that. Our deacons do all of these things to help people who are going through rough seasons or who get, you know, stuck with a bill that they need to pay. Um, They try to help seek to... to, um, help out the physical affairs, and to allow the elders to continue focus on preaching and leading the church um, spiritually. Um, So it includes the physical needs of the members, but it also may include the physical needs of the church, such as the building, maintenance, setup, service preparation, meals, um, getting communion prepared. All of these different things are ways that the deacons help serve and meet the physical needs of the church. Um, and allow the elders to continue the work of preaching the word. So when we get to this idea of what a deacon is, I think we said from the word, a deacon is a servant, and that's what we need to keep primary in our mind, and their primary role is in serving the church. Now, this doesn't mean that a deacon can't also teach, they can't also do other things within the church, but the primary role of a deacon is not a teaching, preaching role, it's a service role. So then what a deacon is not, a deacon is not a junior elder. 
And this is, I think, an idea that I've seen in some churches and, and carried out where the deacon is kind of like a stepping stone position for somebody who's maybe someday going to become elder. And so we'll, we'll assign them to be a deacon first and see how they do at that role and then maybe someday you know, have them be an elder. They're two completely separate functions. So an, a deacon is not a junior elder. A deacon's also not the primary governing authority of the church. And some churches set up this way where they have a board of deacons that really functions like elders. Um, so whenever somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a deacon at my church, it kind of maybe prompts us to ask, well, what does that mean for you? Because it, it may mean that they just help serve, kind of like we have at our church. It might mean that they're on the primary board of directors that make the governing decisions for the church. Or, as some churches do, they, it's a, just an honorable title that they bestow on like a majority of the members who are in good standing. And everyone is, you know, deacon, brother, sister, and it's kind of a term that gets thrown around without a lot of meaning. So we, in our church, when we talk about deacons, we hold to this view that they are servants, that they manage the physical needs of the church and assist the elders in that. Now, when we get back to our passage in 1 Timothy, we have to consider what's most important. And Chuck Swindoll had this great quote concerning deacons, and he said, My conviction is that when a church becomes as concerned about maintaining high standards of purity and integrity in leadership as it is about upholding a specific form of government, that church will prosper and it will begin to fall more in line with Scripture. Not only in the form of government it adopts, but also in the lives of people as well. And his primary point is that we should be more concerned about the character of the people who are deacons than we are about what deacons can and can't do and what they should and shouldn't do. Because when we look at scripture, the limited passages that we have on deacons, there is three, four, five times more said about the character and who should be deacons than there is about the exact role and function that they should have. To illustrate this point, uh, I can think of an army marching into battle. And imagine you have two choices of the army that you could pick. You could have the army that has the perfect formation, they're in the exact position that they need to take on their enemy, or you can have an army that is composed of elite soldiers that may not be in the exact right formation. By the way, the army in the complete exact right, or right formation is composed of kindergartners. Which army would you prefer? <laughs> The kindergartners, right? No, no. We would want the, the ones who are, are trained to the highest level that are the right fit for the position that they're assigned to. And when we think of deacons, it's far more important that we have people that are deacons that are the highest quality of character, that they fulfill what um, Paul calls them to than that we read. Um, so it's, while it is important for us to focus, I think, on the form of our governance, it's far more important for us to focus on the character of the individuals. So let's jump back now to look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. The first two words in the ESV are deacons likewise. Now our word likewise here draws us back to what we saw last week where, where Tim told us about elders. And deacons, in a very similar manner to, to elders, are to be dignified. So these are to be people that are well thought of within the community. They're not to be, you know, people who have shady character or who we wouldn't trust with certain areas. And it's definitely not supposed to be people who are just gifted in some capacity. This, there's a tendency, and Tim, you talked about this last week, of, 
an emphasis on talent above character when it comes to putting people into positions within the church. And nowhere does Paul talk about somebody's ability to, to just be an excellent administrator or executor of certain functions. He's far more focused on their ability to have a, a clear character in, in solid character. So the first thing that we see is that it must be dignified. And then he lays out three negatives. The first is that they should be, not be double-tongued, they should not be addicted to much wine, and they should not be greedy for dishonest gain. Um, so last week we considered how does this tie into the fruit of the Spirit, and that was a really excellent point. Tim, I'm just going to keep talking about how excellent your sermon was. <laughs> but it really, it sets up where we're going today. And if we tie this back to the fruit of the Spirit, these are all three negatives that happen when you do not have self-control. So if you are not self-controlled with your speech, you will be double-tongued. If you are not self-controlled with what you drink, you may become addicted to much wine. If you are not self-controlled with finances, you will easily become greedy for dishonest gain. These are all three very important for deacons who are serving. If we think about this as opposed to the position of an elder, it's very important for deacons not to be double-tongued, to not be people who gossip, who slander, because they're going to be working with people in significant places of need. You're, as deacons, you will become very exposed to people in their darkest moments. And those who are deacons cannot be people who are going to go and, be like, and come back from helping somebody and be like, can you believe what Sally did? She's in this terrible situation. It's not going to be helpful for Sally in this instance to have somebody that's going around and talking about everything that she's done. So these must be people who are not double-tongued to say what they mean and will follow through. They also have to be people who are men and women of their word, that if they say they're going to be somewhere, they will be there. Um, the second thing is that they should not be addicted to much wine. Now, this was important in the early church because one of the main functions of the deacons um, was with the distribution of the, the wine for communion and also with distribution of wine, perhaps for medicinal purposes. So if they're going to be handling wine, you wouldn't want a deacon who is addicted to much wine because they'll just be sneaking a little bit on the side all the time, and it would not be good for them. But beyond this, there's this concept of being sober-minded. And this extends beyond just, I think, wine. It's not saying there's something specific about wine and deacons that they need to avoid, but it would be any form of alcohol or any sort of drugs which may impair your sober-mindedness. Deacons who are serving must be able to make clear judgments and to be able to, to help and to assist without being impaired. And finally, the last thing is that they should not be greedy for dishonest gain. And this is clearly important for someone who's going to be handling finances within the church. There's countless stories of deacons who have handled finances who have got caught in embezzlement or things like that. And as a church, we tr do our best to put boundaries and guidelines and forms of accountability so that way there's not that temptation for somebody um, to dip their hand into the serving plate or to take money that belongs to the church. Um, we also try to put people into the position of deacon who we know would do a well, good job of handling finances, and we don't just say, oh, well, there's accountability. Anyone can be there. But it's sort of you know, the belt and suspenders approach. We want to make sure that we have deacons who are of high character and also prevent them from having the opportunity to be tempted. 
The next verse, in verse 9, says that they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So now we're getting out of this realm of self-control and talking about their ability to know the gospel and to handle the gospel. And the, the biggest significant difference between the qualifications for an elder and deacon is that elders are required to be able to teach. That's not a requirement that's placed on deacons. However, they should be able to communicate the gospel. As deacons, they'll be helping people out who are in situations of need where they need to know truth and gospel. And if the deacons don't have a firm grasp on the gospel and how it impacts our daily lives, they'll be in position to give disastrous um, recommendations or advice to individuals. And so deacons should be people who are able to articulate the gospel to understand how it relates to our lives. So when they are encountered with somebody who is in a in a desperate situation, they cannot just help meet their physical needs, but also speak the truth of the gospel into their life. Next up in verse 10 is that they must be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they are blameless. So this is, again, similar to to elders, that we don't want to just put people into the position of deacon without being tested first. Now, when it comes to the word blameless we can have this idea in our mind that they have to be perfect. They've got to have it all together. That's kind of what my mind goes to when I think of the word blameless. And really, it's that when they're tested, they're found without fault. So if they go through a season of testing or we see them within the church and they're functioning in a certain way that shows they have a heart for service and they're generous and they love people and helping people, um, that is where we would say, okay, we've seen the fruit of your, of your walk. Um, Nick likes to say that when we are considering people for deacon, we like to look for people who are already doing deacony things. Not that the word deacony is necessarily a word, but it kind of describes uh, when the nominating committee gets together, what do we look for? Well, we look for people who are already serving, who are already um, in positions to help people because it'll naturally flow out when they step into being a deacon that they're continuing to do the same things. And we've had several deacons throughout the year who have come on to being deacons and gone off. And a lot of times, it's hard for me to tell the difference from when they are deacons and aren't deacons because they're doing the exact same thing. Maybe the biggest difference is that they're not attending a monthly deacon meeting anymore. But because their heart is for service, they're naturally doing these service-oriented tasks within the church. Now we get to verse 11. And this is probably the second most controversial verse in Uh, First Timothy, behind what Nick preached about a few weeks ago about women learning quietly with all submissiveness. In the ESV, we read that it says, let their wives likewise be dignified. The question is, what does their wives mean? If you look at several different translations, if you're reading the ESV, you see that it says their wives. Same thing in the King James Version or this, the CSB. If you have your NIV or NASB with you today, it says something a little bit different. Does anybody have a different version with them today? Yes, what does yours say? Women, yes. So the other translation is, let the women likewise be dignified. So there's been a long debate within churches on how do we translate this Greek word genokos? It translates as woman, or wives, depending on the context. Um, For maybe a little bit of frame of reference for an English, if we say the phrase, his woman, like his woman said he couldn't come play video games today, 
Um, we kind of know that refers to a girlfriend or a wife, even though it's just the phrase woman. Or if we said, all women agree he should never play video games again, we're talking about women broadly. It's the exact same word, but used in a different context. So when we're looking at scripture, how do we determine what the context is? Does the ESV have the translation right that it is their wives? And therefore, this is a statement about the character of the wives of deacons? Or is it talking about the women, the women who are deacons? So I think there's three compelling reasons why we should read this as a reference. Actually, I have a few more than three. There are several compelling reasons why I think we should read this as a reference to women who hold the office of deacon or deaconess. And this is the stance that we have taken as a church, um, but we also recognize that there's grace here. And there may be some people who do not hold to this exact same opinion, but um, we want to honor and respect um, everyone's belief on this as more of a minor issue. It's not an issue of salvation or things like that, but it's something that we want to work through and let everyone serve within their own conscience. So the reasons why I think this is best interpreted as women. First, we can look at how Paul has used this word um, elsewhere. If we go back to chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, um, Paul, let's start in verse 8 for context. Paul says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. So these are the exact same words, likewise, and women that we have in chapter 3. Now, in verse 2, I don't think we would argue that Paul is only talking to the wives of these praying men that should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. He is clearly speaking to all the women in the church. And so, because he uses that same free phrasing, it would seem um, somewhat inco inconsistent for him to use the exact phrase and mean something different in the second instance. The second thing is that it doesn't make a lot of sense for Paul only to mention the wives of the deacons and to lay out their character and how they should live. He doesn't talk at all about elders' wives. And if we were kind of drawing a logical conclusion, we would think it would be equally, if not more important, for the wives of elders to be dignified and, and women of high reputation. The next point, and what I consider to be the most compelling point, comes from Romans 16, verse 1. And I'll turn there and read that here. Romans 16, verse 1. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome, and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centrea. Now, when he says a servant, that is the Greek word diakonos. It is the same word for deacon that we see in, um, in 1 Timothy. And so here we have an example of a sister, Phoebe, who is serving this role of deacon for the church that is in Centrea. And so while we don't get, we never have an explicit um, command from Paul that women shouldn't be deacons, but we do have an example of a woman who is, and Paul doesn't seem to take issue with this. Furthermore, if we look at the writings of the early church, we see that in 112 AD, about 50 years after Paul's writing into the letter to Timothy, that Pliny the Younger writes about two deaconesses who were suffering persecution. And later on in the second century, um, Clement of Alexandria specifically mentions Paul's instructions in 1 Timothy about female deacons. And so within the early church, we see that this is how they were understanding it. 
So in light of these things and the lack of any explicit prohibition against female deacons, um, I believe that, the pra- that it is a good practice for women to hold a position of deaconess within the church, and that is beneficial to the church to have women serving in this capacity. We've certainly seen this with the women who have been deaconesses at our church, that there are certain things which has been very beneficial for them to step in and to help, whether that's helping out with a woman in need where it may be inappropriate for a man to go and address the situation. Um, and there also, I think we can all accept that in, despite the cultural milieu of the day, there are differences between men and women. That women are naturally gifted more in nurture and caring than men are. And it's helpful to have women who can think through the needs, the physical needs of the church in a way that maybe men would not. So when we talk about the office of deacon at our church, and I'm using, trying to use the phrase deaconess to refer to women, but when I talk about deacons broadly, I'm trying to be inclusive. I want to, to say that this is the stance that our church has had, and um, if you have any Issues with that, we're always open to continued discussion. I know this is maybe a sensitive issue for people based on their background. It's also very important that when we talk about women serving in this way, it's because of the role that we've set up as deacons, as servants, um, and not deacons as a governing body. All right, with that fun conversation, let's move along to the rest of this passage. Looking then back at 1 Timothy 3, If we understand verse 11 to be talking about the women who are deacons, their characters should also be dignified, just like all the deacons. They should not be slanderers, they should be sober-minded, and they should be faithful in all things. Again, these are all tied back to the idea of self-control, that they're not slanderers, kind of connects back to our idea of being double-tongued, that they're sober-minded ties back to the idea of not being addicted to much wine, and that they are faithful in all things. I think definitely ties back to the test and blamelessness. So we do have high standards in our church for both the men and women who serve as deacons and deaconesses. Then if we move on to verse 12, we can look now to Paul's instructions, and this applies to the the males who serve as deacons. He says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. This is a similar command to what we saw with the elders. That it's the husband of one wife, and the translation is literally a one-woman man. So this is not a specific, someone who has only been married to one woman their entire life, and is still married to it, but is someone who is marked by the character that they are not promiscuous, they do not seek out the attention of multiple women. I would also say that this is very true in our day and age of men who are not addicted to pornography or looking for the affection and approval of women outside of their wife. It's someone who has the character of loving one woman faithfully and loving her well. He also manages his children and his household well. And this logically flows. It would be, I think, foolish of us as a church to see someone who does a poor job of managing their household whose children are unruly and who's, who does not seem to have his life in order to then add more responsibility on top of that and say, okay, beyond that, we want you to come and take on the responsibility of helping the church. One of two things will happen. Either they'll fail in their role to the church 
and not serve well as deacons, or they will turn all their focus towards the church and either, even further neglect the home, which is something we absolutely don't want. So these are all things that we consider when we look at who should be deacons. What should their character be, and um, what should mark their life? Now, the final verse begins to answer this question of why should I be a deacon? Why should I want to be a deacon? Throughout church history, we've placed deacons in high esteem. But if we think back to the early church and when Paul is writing this, the idea of somebody becoming a servant is a lowly concept. Not many children say, I want to grow up and be a janitor, or I want to grow up and be a butler or a maid. We typically have higher aspirations than positions of service. But yet within the church, the role of service is extremely important and is of high reputation. This is why Paul says in verse 13, for those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. That serving as deacons is a position of honor and respect within the church. And so I think it's very helpful for us to consider those who are deacons and to hold them with high respect, and I think we do this. I'm very grateful for those who serve as deacons, for um, Nate, Kevin, Norma, Ann, and Josh, and for those of you also who have in the past served as deacons. Um, I can speak as an elder that it has been a great um, source of relief to know that there is a de deacon committee that we can rely on, who will take care of things that um, we can, you know, especially on weeks where we're preaching or teaching Sunday school, that we can allow the deacons to handle the, the basement flooded. Or, you know, there's somebody who's going through a hard time and needs some physical assistance. We can allow the deacon committee to consider our benevolence fund and how we can assist them. So I am certainly grateful and think that we, in our church's history, have had a lot of great deacons who have served the church well, and I'm very grateful for them. The other thing that Paul mentions here is that not only do deacons gain a good standing for themselves, but they also gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And I think what Paul is getting at here is that to serve as a deacon is a great opportunity to deepen your faith. As you serve others, it will teach you to rely more upon Christ, and you'll also, I think, get to see Christ work through the lives of others a lot more. Um, because you're involved in the lives of people who are going through difficult situations, you kind of get this opportunity to see God's faithfulness and to see him work, and so it is a great opportunity. So I think these are two reasons why it is um, very honorable and should be something that all people should consider aspiring to, to serve as a deacon, because it does, it is a position of respect and within the church, and it is a great opportunity to see God working and moving. So what should we do with this? So, you know, great, Paul, you have all, this thing, all these things to tell us about deacons. I'm not a deacon. I'm not in a position to serve as a deacon. I don't want to be a deacon, or maybe I should want to be a deacon. What do we do with this? I have three points. I think, first, I think we should be thankful to those who serve as deacons, recognizing the hard work that they put in. And it, so much of it goes unnoticed. It's behind-the-scenes stuff. It's people coming on a Wednesday afternoon to address an issue at the church that none of us even knew existed. Um, there's so many things that the, the deacons, even in the past year, have done that I'm not even aware of as an elder. Um, they step up in so many ways to help people and it is a huge blessing. So I think we should be thankful to those who serve as deacons. 
I also think we should aspire to the office of deacon. I think that it is something good for each person to aspire to by holding to the character that's laid out by Paul. This isn't just the idea of being not being double-tongued. This isn't something that's just reserved for deacons. I think as people in the church altogether, we should all seek to be people who are, um, who are of one mind with our word. When our yes is our yes, our no is our no. We don't gossip, we don't slander, we don't talk behind people's backs. I think we should also um, seek to be people who are marked by service. And so again, it's not as if people go from just not serving in any capacity of the church, then they become deacons, and all of a sudden, all right, now they have the role, it's time to serve. I think we should all, as members of the church, seek to serve one another, to love one another well, and to fulfill this role of servant, of deacon, even if we don't hold the office of deacon. And finally, I think an application is that we should seek to appoint individuals who fit the requirements that Paul lists. And this goes towards those who serve on our nominating committee. And for those who are members, more than likely at one time or another, you'll be asked to serve on the nominating committee, and it will be um, your responsibility to consider the people in the church and to look who is serving well and who could we invite and to consider these requirements. Um, we don't want to just put people into positions because they serve well, but their character is flawed significantly in some way that goes against what Paul says. So I think we should be thankful, we should aspire to the office of deacon, and we should seek to follow Paul's direction. That's all I have for today, maybe a little bit shorter sermon, but hopefully to the point of the role of deacons within our church. And again, I just want to say thank you to all of those who are serving or have served as deacons. You are an incredible blessing to our church. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the guidance that you've given us in your word, for how we should live as your people, for how we should conduct ourselves within your church, that you care for um, the character of those who serve because you care for the people that they are served well and cared for well and not abused. I pray that you would help us to be a church um, that is composed of deacons who serve well um, and who are of upright character. Help us to be a people who seek to serve one another well, whether we are deacons or not. And I pray that as we go from here, that you would help us to be a people that are marked by love, grace, and service to one another. In your name, amen.